0: From the beautiful art house studios in nashville tennessee this is the pivot stories of people who've made a change welcome to the pivot my name is andrew osinga my guest today is joseph williams Now, I talk to a lot of musicians and artists and authors on this podcast, but uh, this is a new one. Joseph started his career as a teacher and then uh, became a lawyer and now is running for state representative here in Tennessee. Um, I have never met a politician before, and this was fascinating uh, to get to talk to him. We were introduced by some mutual friends a few months ago as he was making this transition into running for office, Um, and then we randomly ran into each other actually at Andrew Peterson's house uh, for something. Uh, we'll talk about that a little in the interview. Uh, but we hit it off and uh, had a great conversation on the podcast and then had a great conversation uh, for lunch afterwards. Joseph is a great dude. And, you know, uh, regardless of what you think about politics or his politics or whatever, it was really great to get to actually talk to someone and realize that this guy is in it because he really cares. And... Um, He sees problems in our community and he wants to try to help fix it. And, uh, that's pretty encouraging. And I think you read the news and you see politicians and it's just like, can you trust any of these people? Um, you know, the answer is probably no. And, um, but then you get to sit and talk to somebody who is real and, uh, admits his faults and doesn't claim to have the answer for everything, but thinks he can help and, Yeah, so I don't know. It was just really refreshing, really fascinating. Um, I learned a lot uh, from my time with him, and I think you will too. It's a great story. And I just can't imagine he and his wife working at the same uh, law firm realizing that they needed to leave and they needed to leave now. They just had a baby, they didn't know what they were going to do next. And they said, All right, we're going to trust God and do this. And um, man, (laughs) I can't imagine it, Uh, but I'm really glad that they did it and that it seems to be working out for them. Uh, I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. I know I did. Again, I am uh, recording this, uh, little intro from Lost Canyon, a Young Life camp in Williams, Arizona. We're having a great time. Uh, we're getting to hang with my kids. We're swimming every day. We're hiking. We're, uh, watching kids meet Jesus. And, um, playing a lot of music and it's a lot of fun. So thank you for your prayers for us. This has been a really sweet time. And yeah, that's it. So I'm excited for you guys to hear this conversation with my new friend, Joseph Williams. Can we agree that sometimes life gets hard? Having an outside guiding perspective helps us all get through those times well. We talk about it often on this podcast, so I want to tell you about some friends of mine who provide the perspective and guidance that can help you thrive, especially during difficult or transitional times. Global Counseling Network is their name. Global Counseling Network is not a group of life coaches, professional development people, HR specialists, or self-help specialists. They're more than that. They are the highest quality counselors that join you on the journey of life to provide trusted feedback and counsel. Your Global Counseling Network counselor is available anytime, anywhere, no matter where you are, based on your schedule. I know you have a lot going on, and trying to juggle it all can seem impossible at times. That's why I recommend my friends at Global Counseling Network as a partner to help you navigate life. Reach them now at globalcounselingnetwork.com. That's globalcounselingnetwork.com. Do this for you. New in Nashville is brought to you by the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work. Do you ever struggle to understand if your work really matters and how it fits into the grand narrative of life? Well, the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work is asking and answering questions just like this every day through ongoing events, programming, and resources. Join them soon at one of their upcoming summer programs, like their five-week Faith and Work 101 course, or by applying to Gotham, their flagship nine-month Faith and Work Leadership Intensive. Be sure to use the code, The Pivot, one word, for a 10% discount on any of their upcoming events and connect with them online at nifw.org. So I'd like to begin by stating this fact that you are running for state representative. Correct. Um, in Nashville but i am not allowed to vote for you because you the the line i looked it up last night on the website is literally one house away from where i live right so
1: you I, would be surprised at how many friends i have who are literally I'm 400 a feet. wedge away from the district <laughs> and you're one of those you like are I, it's one of literally
0: those. across the street right From 100% my
1: house. i um, have received 3 texts this week alone from friends that have sh- screenshotted the district map for me <laughs> and circled where they live to show me how close they are to the district.
0: Oh, that's got to be so frustrating. I know.
1: it. It is. But the good news is, you know, many of them are so close where it still makes sense for them to put a yard sign up. They know tons of friends and neighbors who live right across the street yeah, yeah. who can still vote for me. And so it it still matters that they're there that close. Yeah.
0: So. Okay. Well, that's so fascinating. All right. Well, to start with, are you, uh, did you grow up here in Nashville?
1: So I'm a native Tennessean, okay. born and raised in Memphis. Memphis. Uh, so my parents are still there. My mom's a public school teacher and like half the people in Memphis, my dad works for FedEx. Uh, is and, that really, is that a big oh, hub? a huge employer. Oh, FedEx. I have no idea. Memphis, Tennessee is the world headquarters for FedEx. So, um, so my dad has worked there for decades, uh, as long as I've been alive, plus a little bit more. And then my younger sister still lives with them there in Memphis, who is a big part of my life. I talk about her often. I write about her because my sister has special needs. Uh, she's a couple years younger than me, and uh, she has developmental delays and, and various other special needs. And so growing up as the big brother of you know a younger sister with special needs, has, as I've gotten older, I've realized the ways that has fundamentally shaped who I am and how I view other people and how I view the world.
0: So, yeah, Man, that's really cool. So, all right, so you you grew up in Memphis, and then you began your career as a teacher. Correct. So what led to that? Yeah, so
1: I came here to Nashville originally to go to Vanderbilt. Oh, cool. And uh, studied economics and political science there. I was student body president at Vanderbilt in the Christian fraternity, you know, had, had a lot of fun. And then when I was trying to decide what to do upon graduation, it was right in the heart of the Great Recession, uh, and so a lot of my friends were deciding to go straight to grad school or figure out next career steps. A lot of them weren't planning to go back to their hometown, but they did uh, mm-hmm. because that's where their opportunities were. And what I decided to do was to apply to a program called Teach for America, which was coming to Nashville for the first year. Uh, and it was the first class of Teach for America teachers to go into Metro Nashville Public Schools. And I applied to that. I was accepted. And so I taught high school, U.S. history, and civics to 11th and 12th graders out at Whites Creek High School for two years. Oh, cool. Uh, it was, I like to say it is both the most fulfilling and the most challenging thing I'll probably ever do.
0: Really? Why well, um, so? On both sides.
1: Yeah. So fulfilling because I was teaching juniors and seniors who were about to go out into the real world. And many of them were already far too in tune with the real world mm. uh, than, you know. We like to think as Americans that high schoolers should be, right? Many of them already had one or two kids or a kid on the way. Some of them had been into the juvenile justice system and missed, you know, a year or two of school and then they're released back into my classroom. You know, many of them had just lived harder lives, you know, that one or two parents in jail Um, they had been a part of an educational system and a pipeline of schools where even the best and brightest at my school that were taking my AP U.S. history class, some of them could still only read and write on our third or fourth grade level. Really? So, so that was the challenging piece, but that was also the opportunity was to step into a school that had been fresh started, which means the school district fires everybody in the school. No way. And hires a new principal and the principal can rehire some of the people. But in 2009, when I started teaching there, only 20% of the staff had been there the previous year. And most of those were guidance counselors, custodians, coaches to give some sort of continuation and stability to the students there. Everyone else was brand so new. So basically
0: all the, te- the whole teaching
1: staff. Almost the entire teaching staff was brand yeah. new. And so what is Teach for America's role in that? So Teach for America recruits students that may or may not be education majors. But okay. but are experts in, like, you know, I was a social studies major and passionate about that. Recruited Me gives us tons of extra support. I took graduate-level education classes at Lipscomb in order to get, you know, my teaching license in order to teach.
0: Mm.
1: And then they place, they have this network of teachers that gets extra training, extra observations, extra support. And they put them into the hardest schools where it's hardest to get teachers to go into the toughest environments to teach. So I did that for two years and, and it was fulfilling because every single day, one, I love interacting with people two, I love working in the trenches where like there are problems and the problems aren't ivory tower level things of like, we're just talking about people in the abstract and in the hypothetical, but we are actually dealing with people every day who are facing these problems, who are facing a broken education system. Um, a broken housing system, a broken justice system. They're victims of these broken systems and the opportunity to step in there and teach those kids and help equip them to dream big and to think about things they could do with their life that they had never thought about before and to provide that support and to teach them U.S. history and to have them help teach me U.S. history as well. Was an amazing opportunity uh, that I cherish very much. So, So Man,
0: that's really great. Yeah. So you, so you taught for two years. Mm-hmm, correct. So at, at the end of that two years, why did you stop? So I was getting married,
1: uh, and I had been intending to wanting to go to law school for a long time. Whenever people ask me why do you want to go to law school, uh, I give them two names: Atticus Finch and
0: Ben Matlock.
1: <laughs> neither of whom are real people. I realize. <laughs> Uh, But to me, growing up as a kid... I
0: never knew Matlock had a first name. Well,
1: there you go. (laughs) Exactly. So you learn something new every day. Uh, But Atticus Finch and Ben Matlock both kind of represented to me this idea of steady, hardworking individuals fighting for justice. Yeah. Fighting for the truth and fighting for justice in broken systems, in society Mm -hmm. and in the judicial structure. And so that appealed to me. And so I knew I wanted to go to law school, and part of me considered going into a fellowship to open up a charter school. Part of me considered continuing teaching at White's Creek. Uh, But because I was getting married and kind of beginning to start a family and and look at that uh, with my wife and I, I knew I eventually wanted to go back and get one more professional graduate degree. And that I needed to do that sooner rather than later. It would be easier to do it at that point yeah, yeah. than once we started having kids and things like that. So, yeah. so I went back to Vanderbilt for law school.
0: Okay. And so was there a specific sort of focus in your, in your law studies?
1: So the thing I focused on the most was constitutional law. I took about every constitutional law class I could take.
0: Okay. So I hear that. On the radio and NPR, what does that mean?
1: (laughs) That's a good question. So a constitutional lawyer is someone that, you know, my specialty is the First Amendment. So freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of religion. Uh, So obviously working with nonprofits, organizations, and individuals to ensure that their fundamental freedoms are not abridged. That Hmm. they are able to speak freely Without having a governmental entity infringe upon that, yeah. that they are able to practice their faith in every aspect of their lives, uh, not just on Sunday mornings, but you know, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, three hundred sixty five days of the year, that they are able to practice their faith in everything they do, whether they're Christian, whether they're Jewish, whether they're Muslim, whether they are you know Native American, or any other number of, you know, small religious sects, that freedom of conscience, something that we often take for granted here in America today, Mm. that that is defended because that freedom is the freedom from which all others stem. And I think in our political environment today, that's something we can learn, and I'm getting off the path a little bit, but another reason I'm running for office right now is this idea of we, we've seemed to have forgotten along the way that One of the beauties of the American experiment and part of what makes our country special throughout every civilization in human history is built into the core DNA of our nation is this idea of I'm going to defend the rights of people even if I disagree with them. Sometimes especially if I disagree with them because I want them to defend my right to speak and act on my core beliefs, whether that's faith, whether that's something else. Like That's built into the core is this idea that like, America is great because we can debate about hard things, heaven mm-hmm. and hell and health care and public education. And we can have these debates without killing one another or without the fear that the government will squash you and throw you in prison because you say you believe and act that out. Yeah. And we I think a lot of us, no matter what political party, no, no wonder where you are on the ideological spectrum, um, you know, we need to remember that. That's key. And that gets back to the constitutional law question. Like, that's yeah. a lot of what a constitutional lawyer does, especially in my specialty. But yeah, in particular, I've done some international human rights work, you know, mm. on religious freedom. I've done, you know, some work on defending the rights of nonprofits to exist and get mm. their tax-exempt status regardless of what their beliefs are. And so that's kind of what that's looked like, where the rubber meets the road.
0: Okay. So you, you finish law school. Finish law school. And then, how do you start putting these ideas into practice? Right.
1: So I started working at a public interest law firm uh, that has offices on Capitol Hill, across the street from the Supreme Court. Wow. Uh, here in Middle Tennessee, uh, they have offices, you know, all around the world as well, with kind of international law with the international human rights focus. So I started working there during law school. Actually, I worked there okay. the last two years of law school, and then. Took, you know, a few weeks off to study for the bar and take it and then just kept working there. Uh, and so I worked there collectively, I guess, from the summer of 2012 uh, until uh, the summer of 2017. Yeah, so I worked there okay. for all, a little over five years. Totally. And, and,
0: and that's that's the ACLJ? Correct. Right? And the they, American
1: Center for Law and Justice. Okay,
0: and right. that said so the focus is on of, – of that organization is on – is it on international –
1: so a right? a key focus is on international human rights law. Yeah. Uh, another focus is domestically constitutional law, okay. kind of government affairs. And then over the last decade or so, they've also developed a little bit of a focus on national security law Got and things like that. So
0: what so what is your focus in that role? In
1: that role, my focus was – so I did a little bit of everything there. Okay. Um, I was kind of a jack-of-all-trades. Um, I worked some with the government affairs team on Capitol Hill. I worked some on international cases. Uh, my wife, that is her focus. And she eventually, after my oldest son was born, she came over and worked there part-time. And we worked there together for a couple years. And her focus, whereas my focus is more on constitutional law, her focus is on international human And she's rights. a lawyer as well? She's also an attorney. She also okay. went to Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt Law School. And so we worked on that stuff together. Um, and then I also worked... It's an organization that does a decent amount of media advocacy as well. Hmm. And so I I did a good amount of work there helping with our advocacy, whether that is, you know, my boss is going on cable news or, you know, on a daily radio show or anything in between. I kind of helped do the research and talking
0: points and things for that. Got it. Okay. So, um, but when I met you, you were not doing that role. Correct. And, uh, but you and your wife were both at this company. Correct. And then... We're both not. Right. Talk me through that.
1: Yeah. So the last year, almost exactly a year, uh, has been a wild ride. Mm-hmm. And our second son, Henry, was born on May 2nd, 2017. Okay. About a month after that, we felt called by God um, that he was calling us to something else. So we both left that law firm. And we had some ideas of what could and it was come quick, next. right? Wasn't it? Like- it was quick. Yeah. It was it was quick. We we left and it was clear on a day, you know, we woke up and said, you know what, like today's the day that God is calling us to move forward to the next step. Hmm. And, you know, the bosses we had at the ACLJ were amazing. They were some of the most brilliant legal minds of the last few decades in you know, in America. And, you know, one of them is one of the brightest legal minds in US history. And We learned a lot there, and we absolutely loved our experience there. But it just became clear to us that it was time to move on to the next step. And so we had a newborn baby at home, a toddler, two young boys, you know, and we decided God's calling us to take this step. Um, And what comes next? We didn't know exactly. We thought there was a chance we would open our own law firm. We had had a decent number of people we had done pro bono work with or work on mm. the side for that said, hey, if you start your own law firm, we'd love to hire you. We'd love to have you do work for our nonprofit or our, our advocacy organization on an ongoing basis. Uh, but at that point in time, to be honest, my thought was kind of like, well, that would be crazy. Like, that would just be significant less stability and yeah. consistency. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my, my wife had also been praying for a good amount of time that for a job that we could continue to do together and spend more time at home hmm. with our, with our two young boys. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, my, my wife is the strongest and one of the most, you know, um, one of the most impressive people I've ever met, has a great heart. She, she has a spinal cord injury and she's confined to a wheelchair. And so part of it is, as we have two young toddlers and, they're precocious. If we're able to spend more time together and I'm able to spend more time at home, then that would, you know, make things easier for everybody. And that's something I want. That's yeah. something I crave. I I think I think so we and, have one?
0: we have one of these, yeah, these friends with us right, right now. He's right here
1: beside me <laughs> and he's trying for me to get his iPad to work. He doesn't understand why he can't access YouTube right now.
0: Oh, hey, um, do you need the Wi-Fi? No, it's fine. I can get you this. He has yeah. tons of
1: videos right on okay. here. Okay. All right. There you go, buddy.
0: Okay, so so all right, so who is our who is our extra guest this morning? Our
1: extra guest this morning, who you may occasionally hear the crinkle of his pretzel bag, is Jack Williams, my three and a half year old, my oldest son. And uh, he has joined us today and, and this is actually a good example of what I'm talking about is this idea of in an ideal world, I want my day-to day life to involve my entire family and my children as much as mm. possible. And there was a great article on the Gospel Coalition several months ago that talked about – the tagline that hooked me was the Bible doesn't say uh, a man is to leave his wife and children and cleave to his office desk. Uh, And that's powerful. And and, and it made an argument not just from faith, although that's important, but also from history primarily Mm. of saying over the last 100 to 150 years in Western civilization – is, is a unique exception of human history in which families are an economic unit who work together, who bring the children along, husband and wife working as a partnership on things. Like, that is how most humans in most civilizations throughout all of history have operated. Which and is
0: so foreign and, to our – Yeah, and, yeah. And, and,
1: and poses the question, so are we messing something up by moving away from that? And my wife and I are huge advocates of doing as much together as possible and involving our kids as much as possible. And I think that's important. I think it's radical. Uh, I think it's countercultural in a lot of ways. Uh, But I also think it's a picture to our kids and to the outside world of how we can do something different. And it's not a race to say, oh, like, you can have it all and it all works. But it's more the idea of saying – there's a richer way to do things, especially yeah. in 2018 when we have the technology we have, and yeah. the capacity we have. So,
0: yeah, and that's cool. So, okay, so you guys start your own. Law so we firm. leave. So well, we leave how our do law you firm. do that?
1: Yeah, right. That's a good question.
0: So basically, you, you, you're not just like, "Hey, uh, I'm a," uh, I mean, you just start handing out business for, cards. I mean, so like, so for is, so
1: for a few weeks, we ran from that idea. We okay. were like, "Look, sure that would be great, but." When we left our job, my idea was that we would find another very comfortable job, right? With, (laughs) like, consistent schedule and a consistent location to go to. benefits And benefits and 401k matching and, like, you know, the American dream. That, like, we would move from one to the other because that's how this works. That's how life works. Yeah. And in actuality, I think it took a little bit of time for God to, you know, kind of change our minds and hearts and say, no, like... I have something different for you, and it's also better for you. Like, you don't think that because you have been trained culturally to seek comfort and consistency and clarity that allows you to build your own plans and your own dreams for your life mm. to make you feel like you're in control. And if I, and I say this to people all the time. I try to convince people to do crazy things and leave their jobs and, and do something. Because if I've learned anything, it's like... God does not want us to seek control and clarity. He wants us to be faithful. And he wants Mm -hmm. us to step out of our comfort zones. And because it's there where we're, as my wife, as my beautiful and brilliant wife, much more brilliant than me, likes to say, it's at that point in time that we're at the end of ourselves. And when we're at the end of ourselves consistently, that's when we look for God every moment of every day. And it's not, and he's always there and he's always showing up. We're just usually oblivious and blind to it. But when you live life in such a way where you go to the end of yourself and you're asking for him to show up every day, you see when he does. And -hmm. that's a powerful thing because it's like I say, I haven't had this much fun in a long, long, long time. I haven't felt like I'm flourishing. I haven't felt like our family is flourishing. I haven't felt like I am both doing something that's fulfilling and also incredibly challenging at the same time. Since I was an inner city high school teacher, hmm. like I'm, I'm back in that zone, and I'm more alive than ever before. There's less clarity about the future than ever before. Uh, when you have your own law firm, you know you, you know, our law firm is a niche practice. We partner with nonprofits and advocacy organizations to help provide legal and policy counsel, and then because we've come from and we've both worked at various types of large organizations with large budgets we also have expertise in like digital development and digital marketing and um, overall strategic planning for an organization and things messaging and things like that that is consistent with the law and with hmm. policy positions and with faithful vision statements and values and things like that so we partner on Short, medium, and long-term bases with various organizations to basically become part-time in-house counsel. And then between my wife and I, we bring an array of experience that is often helpful to those organizations and That's as fascinating. Well. So, so do you work from home? We work from home. We work from coffee shops. And we work from various clients' offices. Okay. So a good number of our clients have said, you know, as part of, you know, our partnership with you and our pay with you, you can use our offices. So.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, that is so fascinating. So that's been that's been a year to like
1: So that was about last July, August. Okay. So almost a year since we
0: launched that firm. Okay. Um, but right this moment, you are are you still practicing law actively? I, yes. So still okay.
1: actively practicing law, still working with those, with and for those clients. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but But you're also walking door to door through A big old chunk of Nashville, which does not happen to be my half of our street. (laughs) Right, correct. So I'll I'll wave for you from across the street when I'm knocking on
1: your neighbor's doors. No, so second son is born in May. Mm -hmm. Leave our firm in June. Start our firm in July. And it was around that time when, and as if that's not enough, it was when I was meeting with a bunch of people in Nashville. And you had
0: to watch the Olympics. I mean, there's (laughs) a lot going on. There's a lot happening there. Uh.
1: I was going and meeting with a bunch of people, telling them about the firm, saying, yeah. "Look, if you hear of anyone in your realm uh, that would be interested in our services, let me know. Like, you know, feel free to give us referrals or connect us to people." And as I was doing that, a good number of like longtime friends and mentors said to me, "Would you consider running for Tennessee House District Fifty Six, which is the heart of Nashville? It's Bellmead, Green Hills, Forest Hill, Oak Hill." Creve Hall and South Nashville to the Davidson-Williamson County line. They were like, it's been held by Speaker Beth Harwell for 30 years. Wow. Yeah, since 1988. Would you consider running? It's an open seat.
0: Why is it an open seat? She's running, She's running for governor. For governor, right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: And my first reaction was, I have a lot of things on my plate right now. And politics is absolutely insane. Like, have you been paying attention to what's happening? That's yeah, in insane our, in, in our, like a in our healthy country?
0: time frame. Right. But right now it's in even right. way more insane.
1: Yeah, way more insane. Like right now we have way way too many people and entities in our politics seem far more concerned with just kind of political posturing in a way that divides people against each other and pits them against one another instead of uniting people towards a common cause of solving the problems that we all face yeah. no matter what neighborhood we live in, uh, no matter what faith you are, uh, no matter where you are on the ideological spectrum. I hear the same things from everybody as I'm going door to door. They want better schools for their kids. They want safe neighborhoods for their families. They want good paying jobs and a thriving economy. They want a limited government that does the few things it's supposed to do really well and then gets out of the way that allows communities to flourish. Like, I can't tell you how often I hear all of those things mm-hmm. at the door, whether I'm talking to a 95-year-old or a 32-year-old who, you know, has two babies in her arms. Yeah. Um, it, that's consistent, and that's what people want. But you don't see that if you watch cable news or if you look on social media. Like, no yeah. one's having those arguments about those things that matter. Yeah. Uh, and so I was frustrated by that. And so when people asked me if I would consider running, my response was, well, I'm only going to run if I feel like someone who is talking about policy issues that matter, pragmatic problem solving, nuance, and like rationality, and sanity, and like a respectful civility for people. If that has a chance to win, I'll run. Uh, And if I feel like I'll do a better job than everyone else running, I'll run because I had so many people asking me if Mm -hmm. I would consider doing it and when i looked into who else was running when i looked into kind of this district it's a purple district it's one of the only purple districts in the state which means there's a lot of republicans and a lot of democrats in there and a healthy number of independents as well which i liked and so i decided to run so henry is born in may leave my job in june start my firm in july and i even though i didn't publicly launch my campaign until the last week of october I was already having meetings and beginning to put the pieces together in August. So My it was a heck of a goodness. four months.
0: My goodness, that is wild. Mm-hmm. So, running for office is that a is that a full time job?
1: So being I a mean, state time wise, yeah. So being a state legislator is a full time job from January through April, and then the rest of the year. Huh. So that's when the Tennessee State Legislature is in session. And then the rest of the year, you're still the state representative. So you still have, you know, meetings with constituents and you still have events to go to and sometimes special, you know, committee hearings and things like that. So you're still the state representative and you're still working, you know, consistently every week. But you have a lot more time to, um, you know, do whatever your day job is or, you know, or whatever else is needed. So. It is Especially a, a job, job
0: where you're your own boss yeah. and you can, you can make that schedule work. And that's what I've found. I've found that
1: one of my big competitive advantages to running is the fact that I have my own firm. So to see kind of how God moved the pieces into place, even when I was oblivious to what was happening, to see, leave the firm, start my own, and then that led into the political campaign where... I get to be my own boss. And a lot of times I get to decide when I do my work. And so I can do that after putting the boys to bed between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. And as long as it's not raining really hard or thunderstorming, I can be out there all afternoon knocking on doors, meeting voters. Yeah. Which is my favorite thing to do.
0: Really? So, okay. I think when we we first were introduced at—we texted a little bit, but we met at uh, Andrew Peterson's Easter. Right. And we were chatting— I'd, I've been watching, re-watching Parks and Rec, which is one of my favorite shows. I <laughs> were saying to you, the only real, like, outside of watching presidential campaigns, the only campaign I have any experience with is just watching Leslie Nope run for city council. Right. And you were like, yeah, it's kind of like what it is. <laughs> and um, I thought, which I thought There was have all... been
1: numerous moments on the campaign trail where my wife and I look at each other and we say, we feel
0: like we're in a Parks and Rec episode for right real? now. <laughs> okay. What... Like, okay, I was sitting with my wife last night, kind of prepping for you to come over today and thinking, and I said to her, I don't think I've ever known a, a politician before. I don't think I've ever even spoken to a politician before. Like, my circles and their circles have never overlapped yep. until now. And so, did you, do you, have you known people who've been in politics before this? I mean, obviously probably with your, with your lot did you grow up with that? So, somewhat, but not a lot. I volunteered
1: on some campaigns. I've always been interested in politics. The fact of the matter is, I think it's safe to say that last summer when people asked me to consider running was probably the time in my life, starting my own firm, having two young kids, in which I was the, you know, I was not looking to run for office. Yeah. Uh, Which I actually think we need more people running for political office that are focused on things outside of the political realm. Sure. Like you say, like you've never talked to someone that runs for office before, and I say that is a symptom of what is broken about our politics right Mm. now. Uh, You know, when, now I'm going to go back to kind of U.S. history nerd, former U.S. history teacher mode. But, you know, when our founders established the country, they had an idea that in order to keep things healthy, in order to ensure that the people are represented, that there will be a rotation of various people holding elected office, that no one will get elected and stay there forever, that that's healthy, uh, because we need fresh perspective. There's a humility that comes from that, right? It's like, the world doesn't revolve around me. I don't have all the answers. Like, I need to know what the people are thinking. And especially in a city like Nashville, and like you know, someone like Andrew Peterson and someone like yourself, you're individuals that are plugged in, like, across multiple industries. This is Music City, right? So so your elected representatives should have been talking to you, right? Like, you should know who they are and you should chat with them. And the fact that you don't means there's some sort of gap there that we need to fix, And that's why I'm going door to door. That's why I'm spending as much time as possible going door to door. And so many of them are like, we've never had a politician running for office knock on our doors before. Mm. And some of them are stunned and shocked when they realize I hand them the campaign push card, the literature, and they're like, oh, wait, this is you. Like, you're the guy (laughs) running. Uh, They're stunned. And they're like, well, no one's ever come and asked me for my vote before. No one's ever asked me what I'm passionate about. I'm like, well, here Mm. I am. Because like, call me old school, call me naive, call me idealistic, call me any number of things. But I think that's what elected officials and people running to be elected officials like myself need to be doing. Hmm. I think we need people with outsiders' perspectives who are going to say, look, I'm going to listen to everybody. And, you know, there's, there's an old political maxim, which I've had some friends throw around, which is, you know, a bad political leader says, you know, let me see where the people are going so that I can lead them. Now, the bad part of that is this idea of, you know, well, you're not actually thinking for yourself. You're not being thoughtful. You're not being you're a leader. You're not leading
0: them. Yeah you're, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. yeah, you're
1: just following. But the flip side of that coin is a good one, which is we don't need elected officials just sitting, hobnobbing it with lobbyists and hobnobbing it with special interests and people that look and think like them that are in the political realm. And not out there talking to people, learning what keeps them up at night, what are their hopes and dreams, what do they want the government to do or not do.
0: Hmm. So, okay, that. So, what's it like running for office, outside of you're walking up at, and you're going to all different neighborhoods. I mean, the, the neighborhoods you've listed. I mean, you've got some insanely wealthy neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You've got some neighborhoods like ours, mm-hmm. uh, which are just '60s ranch houses, right? Yep. Um, and you and you've got projects and you've got yeah i mean what's so what how do you connect with all those different groups of people uh, i just
1: one it's rooted in god has given me a love of people like i'm an unabashed extrovert uh <laughs> even if i'm exhausted and my youngest child has been up half the night crying and screaming. I could be about to drop, but if I'm out there knocking on doors and meeting with people, I have all the energy in the world. Yeah. Um, Because I love interacting with people. I love hearing their stories. My wife makes fun of me. She says, you know, Joseph, you come home every day and you have 100 new best friends. (laughs) And to some extent, it's true. Like, I come home and I just want to tell her about the people I met. Because what I found and what I've been encouraged by is 99% of the people in America – and in Nashville and in my district, they're not worried about politics all the time. Yeah. They're, wor- they're worried about taking care of their elderly parents. They're worried about doing a good job at work. They're worried about getting their kids to Little League and the music recital on time. And that's good. That's an important thing. That's also something our founders wanted. That's why we have a representative democracy is to people to worry about all the political things so that people can build strong communities like Andrew Peterson's Easter Gathering, which I absolutely loved that. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it's a community of people from all walks of life, from different parts of Middle Tennessee and different parts of the country coming together, breaking bread in community together, talking about how can we live and serve our community well. Like That's the type of stuff that gets me fired up. And I want to run for office because I think we need more politicians to say, look, the answer is not, I, the politician, will solve all of your problems. Mm -hmm. My job is to ensure that we have a government and a tax structure and an education system and law enforcement that creates and cultivates communities so we can all flourish. So all of our neighbors can flourish, no matter what their socioeconomic level, no matter what their zip code, no matter whether they're urban or rural or suburban. We need that. Um. And I don't think there's enough politicians talking about that. And I also don't think there's enough politicians who are more focused on doing what's right and solving problems than just getting reelected. And that's what I hear from people. When I'm knocking on the doors, it doesn't matter where they stand, who they voted for in 2016. That's what they tell me they want. And I've been blown away by that because that's why I wanted to get in and run. So Mm -hmm. when I ask people, what are you looking for in an elected representative? Character, honesty. They're going to say what they mean and mean what they say. They're going to get there. Once they're elected, they're actually going to do what they told me they were going to do. And they want to listen to the people and represent them well. We overcomplicate a lot of things in
0: life. And politics is one of those things, I think. (laughs) So. So when you decide to do this and you say to your wife, all right, I'm going to I'm going to do this. What is her response? Like what what's it, what's it like your family and friends when when they you say you're going to do this? Because again, most people don't have friends who are like, oh, "I'm going to go run for office." Right. That's it's a right. it's a unique position. It is a unique
1: position. So one way I knew like God could be up to something and it, you know, cuz when I first started exploring this, I kind of expected him to close the door. And the door's just kept opening. And one of those doors that opened was, you know, I was – I like volunteering for campaigns professionally, legally. I work in government affairs some. My – you know, I was student body president at Vanderbilt. So I've often gotten the question of like, oh, when are you going to run for office? And my wife's pat answer whenever we got that question was like, oh, I'll let him run for school board when he's 75 and I want to get him out of the house. (laughs) And and so when people and friends and advisors who you know have run U.S. Senate campaigns and governor campaigns, so these are high-level people, and when they were seriously asking me to consider running, my wife's response was the first time was, well, maybe we should pray about this and, and look into it. Mm. And it was at that moment where I knew God might be up to something because <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to be able to do this without her being all in. She's yeah. my partner. She's my closest advisor and my best friend. Uh, she's brilliant. I knew she. I, she would have to be all in as my wife. You know, uh, and so that that was her response of like, we should look into this. Like maybe God is calling us into this. I was like, oh boy, this might be something different. Like that was kind of the first hint of if Palmer's all in and if Palmer's fired up and Palmer's one hundred and ten percent behind me and ready to do this thing, then there's a good chance this is going to happen. And whenever I met with people, they were always like, you know, look, if your wife's not on board, don't do this. It's not worth it. And I talked to people who have run for office with young boys like me and have held office, local or state office. And one of my concerns was I didn't want to do this if it was going to be a strain on my family. Mm. And that was always a fear because there's a headline. It seems like it would be very involved. There's a headline every day of a politician, you know, cheating on his wife, you know, leaving his family. And, or, you know, kids, I've known children of elected officials that um, resented hmm. their parents for being in that world. And I didn't want to do that. Um, it wasn't worth it to me. But I met with an elected official and he said, look, um, I think that's all BS. they like, whenever someone tells you like, it could ruin your family What This is an older and wiser gentleman that's been around the block and held office and run for various things and won, run and lost. He said, look, I've never seen a family or a marriage that didn't struggle or that fell apart because of politics and public service. It was already broken, Mm -hmm. and politics and public service revealed that brokenness. Um, And he goes, if anything, it strengthened our family. Like, we brought the boys along with us to everything. Uh, my wife was 100% all in on it. And it strengthened us. And it cultivated within my young boys, who now are teenagers or are off at college, he said it cultivated in them a respect for public service and a love of politics and a thoughtfulness that could only be gained by experience like that. Yeah. Which kind of gets back to what I was talking about earlier. Of, I want to bring my family along on everything. I I think it makes... Everywhere we are richer because I'm bringing kids there, and then um, I think it's also very enriching, and educational and informative for them as well.
0: Yeah, so, and that's really that's yeah. really cool. Mm-hmm. So when are the elections? What what's the so, process from here? Yeah. So I should say to the people listening, we're we're talking right now.
1: Uh, it is late May. Late May, correct? So um, Nashville mayor's race special election was mm-hmm. yesterday. yesterday. There's not going to be a runoff, which is good. Yeah. So I am now, um, I'm now the next election. So wow. my election, the Republican primary is on August second, and early voting begins on July thirteenth, and uh, it's the same time you vote for governor and U.S. senator. So, and then also state representatives. So there's
0: the so. primary, and then the the main election is yeah. the November. Is in November. Okay. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So, so and are there other people, like, like in your primary? There in are. Your
1: I'm, I'm running against one other gentleman uh, in in the Republican primary for Tennessee House District 56, and then there's one Democrat running that I'll run against in the general election. So, Wow.
0: Mm-hmm. That's wild. Okay, so if people want to follow along... Obviously, some people listening to this can vote for you if they choose to. Right. Uh, I would love probably, to have their votes. Probably lots of people will just be like, so what happened to that guy you interviewed? <laughs> so if they want to follow along, how do they find what, out? What 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 happened to that politician
1: that stumbled into <laughs> to the musical world <laughs> and that whole network of people? Was he successful? Uh, so they could follow along at www.williamsfortn.com. 4 williams for tn The word tn. for um williams4tn.com joseph williams for state representative on facebook those are kind of the two easiest ways to stay up to date to read more about my policy positions and what i'm going to fight for and why i'm running and stay up to date on events i'm holding around the district and things like that
0: yeah yeah that's fascinating well i wish you the best of luck and uh it's fun to finally get to meet a politician yeah so. thank you for having me on you know we maybe we can start a nonprofit or something that brings
1: musicians and politicians together uh it, you know the musicians might be kind of bored hanging out with a bunch of politicians but <laughs> it, it, it would be good for the politicians so oh, that's awesome man well uh thank you so much for coming by thanks for having me on really love this
0: Isn't that refreshing? Ah, just really great. Uh, Joseph, thank you so much for your time. Again, if you're interested in following Joseph on this journey and to see how it all unfolds, um, go to williamsfortn.com. That's williamsfortn.com. And, you know, after we had this conversation, we went and had lunch. And uh, something that we didn't talk about in the interview, but I, I wish we had, but it just came up naturally, is that, is that running for office is like a year-long job interview. And you, you guys heard on the podcast last week that I'm starting a new job uh, in a couple of weeks. And I had to go through like two interviews and it was so stressful. Um, I can't imagine doing that all day, every day for a year, trying to convince thousands of people that you're the best person for the job. Holy cow, man, that just is a whole nother level of, I don't know, you clearly have to be given some sort of special set of emotional skin to be able to do this. I can't imagine. Um, But yeah, anyway, it was great to finally meet a politician. Who knew? Who knew they were real people? Or at least they could be. Some of them are. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week with another great guest, uh, andrewosinga.com, everybodypivots.com. also want to say thanks again to our new sponsors, the Nashville Institute for Faith and Work, nifw.org, and the Global Counseling Network, globalcounselingnetwork.com. Please go check those people out. Now go do something awesome.